Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on May the 9th, 2011. Newcomers should look into the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com. There's thousands actually of talks to go through at your leisure if you get the time. And um, hopefully you'll learn how this big superstructure of systems and interlocking systems runs all across the world, above governments and within governments, and literally plans the future, what kind of society they want at any given time, and prepares the youngsters for the next kind of society that's planned for them too, to always make sure or ensure that the dominant minority continue to hold power over the globe, which they've done for an awful long time. And it's done through associations of uh, uh, philanthropists, for instance, foundations, big bankers, international moneylenders, that kind of stuff. Very important people, very rich people, and that's how you become important today. You've got to be awfully, awfully rich and hold on to it for a few generations, and suddenly you're successful and you're into the club, but uh, few manage to get in these days. However, help yourself to those, and remember from the U.S. to Canada, if you want to order the books and discs I have, just send a personal check or an international postal money order, or you can use the donation button at cuttingthroughthematrix.com and follow it up with an email with name, address, and order. I'll get it out to you. Cross the rest of the world, you've got MoneyGram, Western Union, and PayPal again to order or donate. Remember, straight donations are certainly welcome, and uh, I, I wouldn't get by at all without them. And they trickle in all the time. And you don't have to send much either, remember that too. An awful lot would be better than a, a couple of, of bigger ones. An awful lot's much, much better. And uh, we're going through a new world order, of course, a change in the system. Uh, and there'll be many to come yet, new world orders, because these are all stages of the big plan. And they always call it a new world order when they change the next system, the next system. Eventually, when they hand over the, the, the policemen of the world to China, to do, it'll be another new world order, and that's how it'll be presented in the media too. And by that time, no one will care because we'll think China is just a wonderful country, and all the youngsters think they, they all run around doing kung fu. Anyway, that's how it, it, life goes. We're trained from cradle to grave for our part in going through the new world order, whatever stage we happen to be at, without really knowing what's going on. And they make sure of this by giving you a, a, a nasty, rubbishy history. Uh, written by the Royal Institute of International Affairs or Council on Foreign Relations members in the U.S. side uh, to make sure you get the right view of the past, which is the one that they want you to have. 
And, of course, you think, too, that you're more enlightened than ever because you have this thing called the Internet, which is also given to you as well to further befuddle you, believe you me, and certainly done an awful good job of that, too, according to all the studies that are coming out now on the minds of younger people. But as I say, we're going through the biggest changes, as I say, that the world's experienced for an awful long time. And they expect whole migrations, much, much more than you've seen already, of migrants coming in uh, to, to different countries, first world countries, where they think the streets are paved with gold. An old trick, of course, they, they used that for London with the Irish in, in the 1800s to get them over to work as navvies on the roads. And that's why they wrote the song, too, you know, uh, Mountains of Morn. However, it never, it, never work, it never fails to work when you always think that you're going to be really getting something better at the next system. Back with more after this break. Hi, folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix. And I was thinking today, really, that the, the war for the mines uh, is a great technique, really, because it's like most weaponry. Most weaponry is designed to hit the, the most major bulk of the population. Uh, it never gets everyone. It's like a virus, too. It might kill a lot, but not everybody. But most propaganda is aimed at the general population, and it's a steady barrage of propaganda. Last week I read from the Army War College's Paradigm uh, newspaper or magazine, and one of the uh, the guys who joined them from the old KGB now works for the U.S. said that all major media is psyops. All major media is psyops, and it, and it surely is because even today, uh, someone emailed me that um, a notice has been served on all the British media, not to mention the hike in gasoline prices. So they've not. So none of them can mention this, like it's a national security issue. You see. And by the same token, they're given that they go ahead to publish all the other nonsense they give the general public to keep them in la-la land. One of the techniques that they use to disable people, and there's a technique of disabling people, literally, and that's to overwhelm them with data, generally from different areas, and uh, the sky is falling in a thousand different areas at once, and you simply crash up, you crash down because you can't handle more than two, two major crises in your own life at the same time. And when you've got all these different ones going to destroy you, you simply withdraw into your shell and then go into utter denial. And then you'll meet your neighbor who's also in denial and you have a happy chat about being in denial. And it's much more cozier than being terrified. That's how it works. And so they always aim at the vast majority of the public, and they call it democracy, uh, because they know themselves in democracy. It's not really mob rule. It's, it's the mob that you can count on. That's what it means. And it's always been that way. And Plato went through the stages of democracy an awful long time ago. And all systems, in fact, and democracy is always followed by basically a form of dictatorship. It's, it just follows night and day or of communistic dictatorship, and we call it today international socialism, although the banking boys, the ones you think are the capitalists, are the ones who've always funded it. For them, it's a much tidier world to handle socialism via government. That makes sure that they can, they can lend straight to governments, and the governments will soak the taxpayers and pay them back. It's a guaranteed system for them. It saves them going door to door and say, you as a citizen owe me money, and who are you? I'm the bank of so-and-so. 
That's why they love this, this, this lending business and socialism. And it's much more tidier, too, to have such incredible masses and layers and layers of, of bureaucracies to deal with all the citizenry and know everything about them. Because, you see, in a totalitarian system, uh, that's what it all is based upon, uh, absolute data, constant updated data on every single individual. You cannot be outside the system. That's what they want. And most folk are already in it, even those the ones who are, think they're waking up and they, they, they think they've got a tool in the Internet and so on, and they have the little blogs up and all the rest of it. And all that data really is just going to helping the security organizations understand you much quicker and better, and you help to update your own profile for them all the time. And then they can take countermeasures on a, a general scale for you and people like you. So it's really it's doing them no harm whatsoever. And they give us the things to yap about on mainstream, like Osama and Obama. And, I mean, two names you couldn't get together at the same time, except obviously they change one name to sound almost the same as the other one, a real psyops operation. So even when you're talking about them, they get the two of them confused because it's so close. And one of them just happens to change his name before he becomes a president. Purpose made for the job, obviously just to slap us all in the face. So they give us these silly things to argue about, even though you know it's PSYOPs and all the rest of it. And they got Osama Ben Goldstein eventually, the man that literally had the world in it, under terror as one man, and all that rubbish, you see. So I won't even touch on that tonight because it's, it's disgusting to even mention and lower yourself to bring yourself to talk about the absolute rubbish of an obvious PSYOPs operation from the very beginning of uh, the creation of Osama. Except that uh, um, Brzezinski, uh, and I put the link here for the video that was done with him in Afghanistan and when they were fighting the Russians, and he went over on behalf of the National Security Agency and the CIA to get the jihads going against the Russians. And there's also photographs up there, too, with Brzezinski standing next to Ben Laden in uniform when Ben Laden worked with, he was trained and he worked for the CIA. And that's all I'll say about it. And um, when all this is going on, of course, there's massive movements going on for integration of the Americas, uh, further integration of uh, the countries of Europe into new regions as he split up the old countries and kingdoms and so on. And of course, it's obviously got permission, they've got permission from the kings and queens to do it, who are all part of the system anyway. But uh, I'll touch on this tonight because here's an article here. It says, Baroness Ashton, Baroness Ashton puts Europe and Britain on a collision course call to give Brussels a seat on the UN Security Council. So, it says Baroness Ashton is due to attend a debate in which European Parliament members will call for the EU, the super Soviet of Europe, to have a seat on the UN Security Council as an actual entity, not a group of nations, you see, which will do away with Britain, Britain's seat and France's seat and everybody else's seat eventually. Labour peer Baroness Ashton, a baroness in this day and age, 21st century, right? The unelected head of the European Union's new global diplomatic corps is poised to threaten Britain's position and influence at the United uh, Nations. Last week, um, she was parachuted into £313,000 a year. Brussels job by Gordon Brown in 2009 convinced the UN General Assembly to give the EU uh, something, something special status. It was ambassador's status. It was enhanced. 
I should say, enhanced status. Anyway, it says, uh, this means that she and other unelected Eurocrats, including European Council President Herman Van Rompuy, will enjoy nearly all the privileges and powers of the representatives of a sovereign state at the United Nations, such as addressing the Assembly and taking part in debates. And I should add, to, he's sitting at the top table too, getting the special wines. Ashton is also expected to attend a debate in Strasbourg next week in which members of the European Union will call for the EU to be given a seat on the UN Security Council. This puts her on a collision course with Foreign Secretary William Hague, who says he's determined to prevent the EU acting as if it were a nation-state with a national foreign policy. Well, that was the whole point of creating it, to get rid of all the old nations. And that's happening, by the way. They're all deculturalized, multiculturalized, and no culture at all. And, uh, and that's part of the strategy, because when you have nothing to remember to fight for, for good things, uh, then you fight for nothing. And then they can do with you as they, as they please. But who is this Baroness, eh? And into Wikipedia, and it's quite a, a funny thing, it says here, uh, former, former Home Secretary Charles Clark said, Kathy is a bit surprised, and so is everyone else at her promotion. I've seen Kathy in action, and I have great respect for her. She's excellent at building good relations with people and a good negotiator. That means she's a psychopath. On the other hand, critics say she's likely to be out of her depth, never having been elected to any office in any government. Never been elected. For example, on her appointment, the associate editor of The Spectator and former editor of BBC Radio 4's Today programme, Rod Little, wrote, Never elected by anyone anywhere, totally unqualified for almost every job she has done. She's risen to her current position, presumably through a combination of down-the-line Stalinist political correctness and the fact she has the charisma of a caravan site on the Isle of Sheppey. That's like a trailer site. That's her charisma. And... Other ones say she's a complete disgrace and all the rest of it, but she is a good, strong Stalinist, and, and that's why uh, the Labour government's pushed her to the top. And then she turns around by the ones who pushed her and tries to get them even higher, too, into the European Union on a personal basis like Tony Blair. That's how the system works with psychopaths. You pat my back and I'll pat yours. And, but there you go. They're, they're really going at it. And, and also... He's another another great blockbuster as they're doing all this stuff. I've talked before about how, I think a year or two years ago, how they, they plan to carve up the countries so they can't get back together again. It's the same technique, remember, they did with Germany at the end of World War II. They carved it in half. And that was designed to happen during World War II by Hopkins and others who wrote about it in their memoirs. And that way they'd never have nationalism again. It says here in this article here, uh, fury erupted last night after a European Union plot to carve up Britain by setting up a cross-channel region was exposed. See, they're, they're setting up regionalism through the United Nations across the world. Canada, for instance, will be carved up too, and even bits of the states will be joined with Cuba and be separate entities from the rest of the country. Anyway, senior Tories condemn plans to merge southern England and northern France into a territory called Arc Manche, complete with its own flag. Uh, Brussels chiefs have already earmarked millions of pounds for lavish projects designed to give the zone its own identity. Schemes include a £7.6 million cross-channel network of cycle paths, that's wonderfully, 
because nobody's going to be driving except, you know, the big limousines that carry the bureaucrats back and forth, a £2 million travelling exhibition of contemporary artworks and even a bizarre international tour by circus clowns costing £5.5 million. That's just how they squander your cash. Tory Cabinet Minister Eric Pickles yesterday revealed details of the plan inherited by his Whitehall department from the previous Labour government. And then you've got the community secretary. See, you've all got communities now. You don't have countries anymore. You've got little little communities. He said, Labour ministers have been caught red-handed conspiring with European bureaucrats to wipe England off the map and replace our historic boroughs, country, counties and cities with transnational Euro regions. It's already happened to a few already. And a few, maybe a couple of months ago, an Irish guy asked me about that. And I says, it's the same with Ireland. They've got them ready to join with other nations. Scotland's to go to merge, I think, with uh, Norway, I believe. And I guess they'll try and eventually get us all to change their language into some pidgin Norwegian or English or something like that. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, and in 2009 in Canada, Bill C-46 was put forth, and it's the Investigative Powers for the 21st Century Act, it's called, and it covers so much, and there's a PDF with it, I'll put these links up at cuttingthroughthematrix.com at the end of tonight's, tonight's broadcast, and you go through it all, and it's, it's, it covers an awful lot of stuff. But it says, an act to amend the Criminal Code, the Competition Act, and the Mutual Legal Assistance in Criminal Matters Act, short title, Investigative Powers for the 21st Century. It was introduced in the House of Commons, 18th of June 2009, by Minister of Justice, Honourable Robert Douglas Nicholson. The purpose of the bill is to modernise certain offences in the Criminal Code and the Com- Competition Act to take into account new communications technologies, such as computers and everything, and to equip law enforcement agencies with new investigative tools that are adapted to computer crimes. Now, it covers everything. To facilitate collaboration with foreign law enforcement agencies, because we're all merged with the U.S., the bill also amends the Mutual Legal Assistance in Criminal Matters Act. And then it goes on to make an offence to lure a child by any means of telecommunications, Create a new, they always use children and stuff like that, you know, to, to get all this stuff through. Create a new offence consisting of agreement, agreeing with a person by means of telecommunication to commit an abduction or a sexual offence against a minor. It makes sure there's lots of porn up there against minors, mind you. But I think they themselves probably put most of it out. Provide that uh, hate, hate laws, propaganda offences can be committed by any means of communication. That means even talking to someone. And including making hate material available. So they decide what hate is, you see. Create the offence of possession of a computer virus for the purpose of committing mischief. Now, generally most folk don't know they've got a virus and they pass it on. Uh, but they'll use this as an excuse, of course, is to come into your home and say, yeah, we suspect you have a computer virus and you're spreading it to other people. Make it possible for law enforcement agents to make a demand or obtain a court order for the preservation of electronic evidence, uh, creating new judicial production orders for obtaining data relating to the transmission of communications or data for tracking a thing or individual. That's all your tracking gear that you walk around with that you bought 
or your personal stuff, as you call it. Create warrants for obtaining transmission data in real time and for, listen for this and for the remote activation of tracking devices in certain times, types of technologies. That's everything that you buy with communication has got these remote activation technologies built into them so that your, your authorities and your local cops can listen to everything you're doing and watch what you're doing in real time as you're watching it on the computer and going from site to site. So are they with you? Amend the Mutual Legal Assistance in Criminal Matters Act so the new production orders can be used by Canadian authorities who receive assistance requests from other countries. Uh, says, so anyway, they're working with, uh, Canada, with Canada, the U.S., and the EU, and it goes into cybercrime and tells you what all the definitions of cybercrime are under the guise of it says, the additional protocol on hate propaganda uh, that, that, that they first brought out in July 2005. And it's quite interesting. As I say, they've got all the tools built in they have since they first gave you all the, the, the garbage uh, to entrap us all, and some, or in some guise or another, and we buy, we buy this stuff. If they made you take these, you might be a bit suspicious. I, I cannot doubt it at this day and age, but most folk in previous times would be a bit suspicious if they made you have a computer and your little personal phone and all the rest of it. But when you buy it, they call it personal, and it's yours, and it calls you to be your first name. Oh, you very quickly forget, don't you, that uh, <laughs> all these agencies are sitting looking at you. You're under the microscope, and you bought it to help them to do it all. Uh, they don't even pay. Actually, they should pay us to buy their, their, their tracking gear, shouldn't they, since they want us all to use it. Now, euthanasia is a big coming thing because... Since the 1950s, they talked about the baby boom generation as though somehow uh, there were too many children getting born after World War II and through the 50s. And they were bewailing and bemoaning the fact there was just too many people and it's going to cause a terrible crunch on the economy when they get elderly. But they never mentioned the fact that all these folk, you see, have worked all their lives paying into the government schemes and all the rest of it and insurance systems and all the rest of it to take care of themselves when they got old. No, because they knew when these children were born, they were going to scam that whole generation for their cash and spend it on other things, which they have done, of course. That's why there's hardly any National Health Service left and most countries that had it. And they're even getting down to the dirty now and saying, oh, it's because of you people that were broke. No, it's because of the bank scams were all broke and the, and the collusion of government and bailing them out with your tax money. But they never, they always blame the victim. Abusers always blame the victims, don't they? Anyway, here's an article come, come forth from the, the, the wonderful Guardian, that, that lefty paper. End of life healthcare, a model for the big society. That's what they're calling this communitarianism in Britain and elsewhere, the big society. So it says charitable money. I always warned about charities and foundations. Mixed with good partnership with the National Health Service locally, meaning public-private, right, and supported by volunteers can make a huge difference. David Cameron, Nick Clegg, and Andrew Lansley, end-of-life healthcare could offer a useful model for David Cameron, Centre, and Andrew Lansky. Right? And, it, and it, what it is, it's written by Thomas Hughes Hallett. Very important name, that. It says, is there a, a perfect example of the big society already in existence? 
the Prime Minister wants this to be his legacy. As a nation, we are so fortunate to have a perfect working example in every community in Britain. End of life care. I would encourage David Cameron to invest in and celebrate this great example of a model for government and society. It's a big society, but it's killing you off to make it smaller by euthanasia. Back with more after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, talking about the the public-private partnerships of charities now with government. And remember I read articles about a year or so ago where philanthropies were to take a more responsible job combining with government to take over the systems that used to be run by the, the government agencies themselves. And they're filling their pockets awfully well with the, the cash is getting thrown at them. But anyway, this, this character here, Mr. Thomas Hughes-Hallett, says, I am the chief executive of Marie Curie Cancer Care, the only national charity that provides nursing care in people's homes when they're dying, working in close partnership with district nurses, hospitals, GP surgeries, and the many wonderful independent hospices. I know how a little charitable money mixed with good partnerships with the National Health Service locally and supported by dedicated volunteers can make a huge difference to people's lives. That's when there's any money left that trickles from the top pockets down to the bottom. Last winter, I was asked by the Health Secretary, Andrew Lasky, to lead an independent review with Sir Alan Craft into the funding of end-of-life care for children and adults. A daunting task, but through months of evidence gathering all over England, Alan and I have heard at first hand how when state and society come together in partnership, so much can be achieved for patients and families and precious funds used more efficiently in the National Health Service was left to this tattered National Health Service. So he goes on and on and on about how wonderful it is and so on. And how, etc., etc. But who is he exactly? This this wonderful charitable and foundation leader. And you, you go into uh, the history on him. Thomas Hughes Hallett has been chief executive of Marie Curie Centre since 2000. Educated at Eton College and Oxford University. It's where they teach you to be charitable, you know. Where he gained his M.E. in modern history. Uh, Hughes Hallett went on to qualify as a barrister, a lawyer. From there he spent 22 years in the banking profession. Oh, that's where you learn how to get the cash coming in from government and charities. Uh, working as chief executive in Skilda Corporate, chairman of Robert Fleming Securities and later director of Fleming Asset Management. Hughes Hallett is, is now also chairman of the Michael Pallon Centre for Stammering Children and holds the same title within the Stanley Gardens Residents Association. In December 2010, he was announced as chair of the New Independent Philanthropy Review. All these philanthropists with their foundations, just like the Rockefellers and so on. A collaboration of voluntary and private sector bodies who aim to identify ways of achieving a step change in charitable giving in the UK. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, what a, what a, what a martyr this guy is. As they all are, mind you. All these philanthropists are like Soros and so on. And, of course, they have no agendas. How silly. That's paranoid. That's conspiracy theory, isn't it? But that's how the system is run. And then, of course, as you, as you end up getting your little bottle of painkiller as you're dying in some dingy little council apartment somewhere, 
uh, and they'll make sure that you don't take too much of it. And what's left, mind you, they'll pour it in another bottle and give it to the next one across the road. And that's how they'll save their pennies and get themselves massive salaries at the top. Managing your exit out of this world, which most folk today are quite happy to get. You're living in hell. <laughs> and Prince Charles. Oh, Prince Charles. Prince Charles tells America to cut down on steaks for the sake of the world. America's appetite for beef is jeopardizing the world's water supply, their Prince of Wales said during a visit to the U.S. In a delivery of speech on sustainable farming in the Galston Hall at Georgetown University. So, it says, in a speech to Washington, the Prince said that the need for vast amounts of irrigation and industrialized food production was threatening to deplete reserves of the magical substance we have taken for granted for so long. For every pound of beef produced in the industrial system, it takes 2,000 gallons of water, he says. Oh. He told the Future of Food Conference at Georgetown University. This is a guy that he's always been mystified, like they all are in his family, where the maids take the cutlery in the dirty cups and go into a place called the kitchen. They've never been inside it. And they bring out clean ones. They haven't a clue what happens inside the place. No kidding. And, and here they are, all these front people, telling you not to eat meat and stuff. He's got herds and herds of his own Angus beef on the hoof up in Scotland, as they all do all over the place. Multiple farms of them. And no GM food fed to these particular cattle too, by the way. He's got mansions everywhere and these big massive estates, etc. They spend more than this, that you're washing this meat, more than that on getting their lawns nice and green, believe you me. But this is the hypocrisy I've got today, these inbred Akhenaten-type-looking characters. If you really look at Akhenaten and, and compared to Charles, you, the big hips now, you kind of get the idea. And then you've got, oh, who else, of course, it's the same favorite name that comes up, but Charles Schumer. Senator proposes TSA-style security for trains. So it's a, it's a no-ride a no uh, list that they're compiling after Al-Qaeda plans revealed. Utter rubbish, Al-Qaeda, the boogeyman again. A senator on Sunday called for a no-ride list for Amtrak trains after intelligence gleaned from the raid on Osama bin Laden's compound oh, 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 point to a potential attack on the nation's train system. Senator Charles Schumer said he would push us as well for added funding for rail security and commuter and passenger train track inspections and more monitoring of stations nationwide. I guess you'll get X-ray getting on the trains now as well. Circumstances demand we make adjustments by increasing funding to enhance rail safety and monitoring on commuter rail transit and screening who gets on Amtrak passenger trains so that we can provide a greater level of security to the public. It's, it's like your computers, isn't it? As for your, we want all this data so that we can serve you better. <laughs> so to make you safe, you see that you're going to have no peace and privacy whatsoever, and tracked for every little train run that you take. That's what it's for. Hell is on earth. Hell has come down to earth, and they're just ramping it up a bit more as we go into the more and more crazy systems. Isn't it interesting too that before World War Two? The Great Depression came along, and Stalin was congratulating FDR on copying the same system of make-work projects and stuff that they were doing in the Soviet Union. 
and getting guys dressed in uniforms, old army uniforms, to work in forests and clearing roads and stuff, just in time for World War Two, where they could go right in with the uniform, used to living with guys now, and right into the army. It kind of worked out very well. And... And at that time, because of the Depression, you see, that never really ended, the Great Depression, uh, that until World War II came along, uh, that's what got us out of the Depression, and Britain and every other country, too, that had been felled by the bankers. So we're in the same state that we are, we are then. You keep on fighting and conquering new places in true fascist style, or you go under. Remember, fascism really uh, is a form of corporate, private, public partnership, as Mussolini defined it. With a socialist uh, overlay, basically. So we're right at the same stage today. Because we're producing nothing except warfare weaponry and stuff like that. And debt. Uh, mind you, the small elite at the top, just like in World War, before World War II, uh, were, were grabbing oil and resources across the planet in true Royal Institute for International Affairs style and CFR style. That's what their job was to do at that time. So here you, you go. Eventually you'll, you'll need a, oh, I don't know, a tracking unit for your bicycle, no doubt, uh, so that you can travel from A to B. Then after the Rothschilds took over the, pretty well the whole farming industry of India by basically pricing it and causing a bankruptcy amongst the, the, the farmers and then forcing in, buying all their land off them for peanuts, a, a traditional Rothschild tactic, and then bring in the GM food and so on, and, and all the poisons to, to uh, as pesticides and poison their landscape. Uh, India now has f- rising food prices, and so they're tightening their belts and all the rest of it. Stuff that Britain heard for years, tighten your belt, tighten your belt, things will get better in the future. And um, so, as I say, Rothschilds took it over. I've read the articles before, a couple of years ago, when they took it over, Evelyn de Rothschild is buying thousands upon thousands of farms up and put them under a corporation, introducing the new food supply, destroying their, their old grain so that they'd have to buy the GM stuff every single year to plant or they couldn't plant anything. And, uh, and then they have to buy the chemicals too and even their water supplies now are really terribly polluted. There's some very good documentaries out there on that subject. People should look into it if they're interested. But there's some callers on the line. I'll go to Michael from California, if he's there. Hey, can you hear me, Alan? Yes, I can, yeah. Hey, uh, I've been listening to your show for a long time. Now I've read all your books. I really appreciate all this information uh, because I just started becoming aware of all these things very recently. And so um, I'm someone who's generally concerned about my family and things that are going on. So I've often heard you talk about the projects of the New American Century and how they were planning on invading Iran and Syria next on the agenda in the Middle East. And I was wondering if if you were sure that was going to happen or when do you expect that to happen or anything? Well, uh, they'll definitely, um, I think they're going for Syria first. And Syria was on the same list uh, as Israel. Uh, all the same American century lands to be invaded were on Israel's list as well. That they were identical, and I got that from the Jerusalem papers, Jerusalem Post, and uh, a couple other papers from Israel. So that they're identical, and they wanted Syria out the way because they claimed that Syria was the one that was hiding out, harboring a lot of the, the so-called terrorists from other countries, and they even tried to even use that as an excuse to invade at the time after Iraq, because they claimed that all the weapons of mass destruction had been smuggled into Syria. Of course, it wasn't a straight of evidence of that at all. But who needs evidence in this day and age? So Syria and um, 
And you will see a big exodus out of Iran uh, of people before they go in there. There's no doubt about it. Um, so you'll know when it's happening for Iran. And um, But they're pretty well accomplished at most of their mission already. And uh, how they take down Iran will be another story. But then they've got to get more and more of the world's troops involved rather than the U.S. taking the brunt in Britain. Uh, France comes in when it's got a, a direct uh, promise of, of an oil field or two. They'll come in for that, as they did in, in Libya. But uh, outside of that, um, they won't really put in much fighting forces at all. So it's, it's up to, again, the British Commonwealth. It's Canada, the U.S., and uh, Britain that's left to police that as a massive area, massive area. And they really had hoped that they would have much more, uh, many more countries on board with them, even Japanese, uh, to, to police all these areas. It's not just the taking down of the countries. They literally bomb them into the Stone Age. They take out all their infrastructure. It will be like you waking up tomorrow and you have no electricity, you have no pumping, running water, you have nothing. Um, your food supplies, the stores are demolished, uh, the factories that make the food are demolished, uh, the farms are demolished. Every, everything literally is demolished, and that's what they call tactical surgical striking uh, for, for initial invasion. They're literally bombed back, into, and that makes everyone then dependent on the invading army. And you're in there for years then, and it's a free-for-all for the big boys coming in grabbing whatever resources they're after. So uh, I think maybe they'll leave um, Iran for for the end, the way things are going right now. Okay. I, I also had one more question. Um, I recently learned about this whole straw man theory. I don't know if you've heard about this, about how the whole fictitious corporate entity, you know, operating in commerce and you being a natural person. Mm-hmm. And um, also I learned about how uh, your birth certificate is basically a bond on the stock market. And I don't know if any of this stuff is true, but people have written that you could somehow uh, get access to that account and that bond. And I mean, is that all just a bunch of crap, basically, that they're just trying to feed us now, thinking that we could somehow, you know, is, is that possible to do that, to be able to avoid any to avoid the legal system and everything like that? Is that, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, technically, technically, as I said, technically it's true. Technically it's true. Uh, There's so many, everything in the world that you live in is legality, it depends on legalities. Everything is contractual as well. Uh, It's true enough too that when you're registered as a child or register anything at all, even your car is technically not yours either. It could be uh, confiscated. Uh, so that is true, too, in legalistic terminology. The problem is they don't care. They're going to, if they want to get you, they'll get you one way or another. And over many, many years, I've watched different movements come and go based on the same uh, common law and so on, uh, protocols. And the, the, the ones who lead them end up in the slammer, or the followers do. And uh, I can remember one of the guys who ended up in the slammer who wrote a book from the slammer, still encouraging others to do it. Well, he ended up in the slammer. But we've had the, the high hootspans in Canada. The Canadian government come out and, and tell us that uh, it doesn't matter what rights you think you have using trying to fight the legal system. He said, you can't. He says, we'll get you anyway. So that's, that's what it boils down to. They'll get, if they want you, they're going to get you. So there's no way you could gain access to that fund and basically have this magic account that they're basically – because that's what I read. I read that you could go to the – if you write to the Treasury and file certain documents and things like that, you could gain access to 
the, that account that basically all the corporations are, have used and built up and created when you were born. I mean, yeah. can you do well, that? It's, it's, true that, that it's true that you could te- technically you could try and disassociate yourself from being uh, what they call a, a, a citizen and, uh, and become a free man, as they call it, and so on. But you go through an awful lot of uh, kerfuffle with them. And then when you drive your car, you're, you're, you're back on their road, and they generally will grab you there and make your life hell. And uh, so you, you can't, unless you're willing to go, go cross-country on a donkey, uh, I don't know how else you'll, you'll be able to travel and so on. But uh, they'll get you one way or another, believe you me. Um, we're all, see, they're not even going by their own laws anymore, you understand? They're really not going by their own laws. And when the word goes out to, to get someone who's being a nuisance, they come out and they get you, and they'll, they'll, they'll just drum up a bunch of charges and put you in a slammer. Okay. Um, I just had one last question because I was really curious about this. I've also read uh, your first book talking about the hermaphroditic agenda. Yeah. And I was wondering, uh, do they actually plan on changing humanity completely into basically an asexual being, if I understand correctly from what I've read? They actually talked about this. NASA, of all people, put out a documentary, a very good one, a two-hour-long documentary on long-term space travel. And they mentioned in it that they might have to create hermaphrodites that are born on the way. And the hermaphroditic crew would have no... Um, there'd be no um, male-female relations, obviously, no tension in that respect on long journeys where they could end up fighting with each other and all the rest of it. So they've talked about this in very, very high levels. But see, people are, al- are already being uh, biologically re-engineered through chemicals, drugs, and so on. And, and the guys have lost, they've lost their shape. The females have lost their shape. And um, so we're already being bioengineered through traditional methods like food and water and injections and so on. The things that, that Bertrand Russell talks about, so much so that even Quigley mentioned in Tragedy and Hope, that in this odd thing that happened in the 60s where uh, the youngsters began uh, having sexual promiscuity and being friendly with all the ex-partners and all the rest of it. He said it was really extraordinary, but it had been promoted through university. That's where it started off. But he said, too, that the females had, were beginning to lose their hips and uh, becoming more mannish and so on. And that is true. In the 70s, that was started medical teaching that the women were... It was hard for them to have children now. They're having narrower, narrower pelvises. Back with more after this, this break. Hi, folks. I'm back. And just before I take Barry from Britain, I'll just mention that Fannie Mae is asking for another $8.5 billion dollars from taxpayers because they made bad loans prior to 2009. That's on top of the $100 billion they've already got. So uh, another $8.5 billion. No problem. Your tax money to the banking boys. Now, is Barry from England on the line? Yeah, Hello? hi, Alan. Yeah, and, um, yeah thank, thanks for doing such a good job. Um, I've really enjoyed your show so far, and uh, I think you're doing a, you've done a great job in sort of filling in the gaps you know, as a, a lot of people sort of, uh, you know, realize or become, become aware of some of the agent, political agendas, yeah. um, I think you're, you know, providing a lot of good detail. And I have a question for you related to 
some of the things you were mentioning earlier on regarding public transport. Yeah. Um, you know, recently there was something uh, about a month ago um, looking at um, uh, how the European Union has released a report saying it wants to halve the use of conventional cars in the cities by 2030. Yeah. Uh, that was an EU policy paper at the end of March. Um, they're actually aiming for uh, bringing uh, a shift away from the combustion engine in urban transport yep. um, by 2050 at the latest. Now, I'm thinking this is a really, uh, you know, we know the actual, you know, the, the final goal ultimately is to get rid of private transport for the individual entirely, yep. you know, altogether. That's Agenda 21, it's called, yeah. Yep. Exactly, yeah. So, so how exactly do you feel... Yeah, this will happen because it's such a major shift. Well, they're already doing it by they're already doing it by jacking up your tax for the cars, your insurance for the cars, the gas, the petrol prices for the the cars, and they'll do what Germany's doing too, is penalising people who even park their cars in front of their own houses. Uh, but not only that, Prince Charles also opened up a new eco village, a new communitarian eco village for the the, the the middle class or upper middle class, expensive ones. And it says right in it that uh, you, can, you can put a bid in for a house here and it's, it's all eco-friendly and there's grass everywhere and flowers and all that kind of stuff. Kind of like uh, um, some of the movies we've seen on, on the Stepford Wives type of an idea, like gated communities. But it's, it says part of, the thing, part of the thing in this new system is there, are, there have to be no private uh, vehicles allowed, only, only bicycles. And uh, But that's what they're giving you. It seems that's what such a major... Yeah. yeah, sorry, I was, I was going to say, it seems like such a major thing to happen even over such a long period of time. Oh, believe you me, they'll get it done long long before that. They always give you these faraway times thinking, oh, I've got a long time way to go. No, no, they're already implementing it in some areas, especially across the other European countries. Germany now has towns now where you can't drive at all, and people own no cars, and others are up to copy them too. And it's all pushed through the United Nations, yeah, on sustainability. Of the year in Denmark, in Copenhagen, and um, you know they've obviously you know, introduced a very punitive tax on cars here, uh, you know, over there, and um, and uh, you know they're just so expensive. You know, a car can cost more than a house. Yes. But you know, I'm thinking to bring it in a standard across the board. Will some major event be necessary to justify it, or do you think they'll just bring it in in a phased way over a long period of time? They could, they, I think really it's, it's mainly through the, the cost of gasoline as they keep jacking it up and up and up and extra taxes, as I say, and insurance policies, and even penalty taxes, plus they want to track you and pay per kilometre for every mile, every kilometre you drive. Same in the US, too. They're introducing the bill here, too, under Obama for the same thing. So the power of the purse is what they use at the end, law and the power of the purse to get what they want. And there's nothing to stop them because we don't own oil companies or the government. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And under Agenda 21, it says that no private vehicles will be allowed in the, cent- in, in the 21st century's um, modern villages and, and towns and so on. It'll be essential vehicles only, is what it says. But thanks for calling. From Hamish and myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your God's school with you.